Mindfulness Mode 253. Fun is a necessary component. It is a key to success. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks again for joining us here today on on Mindfulness Mode. It's really, as always, great to have you with us. Last time, my guest was a person with insight and wisdom. And you might find this interesting. She was once a dominatrix. Her perspective was fascinating. You may want to check out Dana Ferrant on episode 252. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash 252. Well, I want to thank you again for your notes and messages. I always appreciate hearing from you, my listeners. I mean, you guys letting me know what, what you like, what you don't like, what you think can be improved on the show. I always appreciate that. Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. You can always email me. Well, I mentioned last time that I'd been sick. I've been traveling, then got back and and got this whatever it is, you know, this thing that caused my voice to go, bronchitis it was. And uh, well, you'll notice my voice is still off a little bit in the interview that I'm airing today. I'm on the mend now. I, I'm i feeling good to tell you that, yeah, everything's great. I'm heading to San Diego to speak at an event there this week. And that's going to be exciting to be there for about five days and uh, talk about podcasting, talking about guests on podcasts and and that kind of thing so i'm i'm like i said really excited but i want to share with you and fill in a little bit about my travels with you and yes we visited newfoundland and specifically fogo island we uh, spent a day or two over there two weeks in newfoundland and when we went across on the ferry to fogo island fascinating place by the way you might want to google it um well, I got talking to somebody on the ferry and they said, whatever you do, you need to visit this certain restaurant. It's really awesome. It's amazing. And just just make sure you go there. So when we got off the ferry, we headed to this particular restaurant. And I got there and I kind of thought, hmm, I wonder why I'm here. Like, is the food that great? Is this about, you know, the experience? What is it? Well, um, we had breakfast. The food was good. But I ask a question of the server who happened to be the owner of the restaurant. And I was asking a question about the tables and why they were the way they were. And the answer was that it was to do with cod and that these tables were fashioned in a way that sort of reminded you of how the fishermen used to uh, prep the cod after, after catching it. And so he said, well, you know what? This lady across here sitting at this other table can explain it to you a lot more than I can. I really don't have time right this minute. But Diane, if you could explain to these folks about about the uh, tables. So Diane got up and came right over and started telling us all about it and and welcoming us to the restaurant and explaining everything. And, and it turns out Diane had been a teacher who had helped people during the 9-11 crisis when 38 flights had been diverted to Newfoundland, flights which were supposed to land in the United States, they had to land elsewhere, and that meant 
thousands of people ended up coming to the town of Gander, which was under 10,000 people at the time, and they ended up uh, spending time at people's homes. People just took them into their homes, and this was an incredible news story. I think it was Dan Rather that that covered this in a in a news item about how the people of Newfoundland reached out. Well, here I was talking with Diane, who was one of those people. She was a teacher in the school where they they took a lot of people to temporarily house them, and now they've created a musical which is called Come From Away. And this musical is opening in New York City. It's been in Toronto. And Diane's character is depicted in the musical. And she was telling us all about this and the tears streamed down her face as she told us about the impact of that day and what happened and some of the people and their stories. And needless to say, of course, I asked Diane if she would be on my show because I could tell right away, here is a truly grounded, truly mindful woman who did exactly what she felt needed to be done in the moment. So Diane is going to be on my show, but wow. It was amazing meeting the people of Newfoundland because no matter where we went, who we met, it seemed like everyone had this incredible desire to just meet you, be authentic, be truly who they are. Oh, and the Cod Jigger restaurant, that restaurant we went to, ended up changing everything about our visit. The owner, turns out he had beautiful rooms. We stayed overnight. We met the Flat Earth Coffee Guy. We toured around the island. We saw the Fogo Island Inn. And it's amazing how things like that can change the trajectory of your visit. I just wanted to share that with you. And you can look forward to to hearing Diane Davis in an upcoming episode. Now, today's guest is a teacher also who has taught many online courses, reached hundreds and thousands of people through his books and his personal appearances. So sit back, relax, and enjoy hearing from today's guest, Dave Crenshaw. Okay, Mindful Tribe, I'm excited to tell you, today I have with me Mr. Dave Crenshaw. So Dave, are you in mindfulness mode today? I I will uh, follow your lead and do my best to be mindful. That's great. Dave is an amazing man, and I'm going to start out by sharing a little bit of your bio with our listeners, Dave. It says this, Dave Crenshaw is the master of building productive leaders and has transformed hundreds of thousands of business leaders worldwide. He's appeared in some of these publications, get this, Time Magazine, USA Today, Fast Company, the BBC News, Now, his courses on LinkedIn learning have received millions of views. He's written three books and counting, including The Myth of Multitasking, which was published in six languages, and it's a time management bestseller. His fourth book, The Power of Having Fun, releases September 19th, and I'm really excited to talk about that as well. So, Dave, what does mindfulness mean to you? You know, it's an interesting question. To me, it means focus. I equate the two. Um, And focus is something that's very, very important to me. And also, it's something that I have 
had to deal with uh, my whole life. Um, I was uh, diagnosed, and this is word for word, as freaking off the charts ADHD. That's, that's what the clinical psychologist said to me after he gave me a couple of tests. Um, so focus is something that has been a challenge for me my entire life. And uh, it, it, it can be anything from, you know, early on just um, jumping from career to career to career. I, you know, I was, I was changing careers probably every year uh, really? early on. Yeah, in, in my career. You know, I'm 42 now. I've been pretty stable for about uh, 10, 12 years. But um, prior to that, I mean, literally, I was doing everything. I tried to be a rock star. I had a band. I taught high school. I, I was a sales rep. I, you know, I started as a business coach when I was 23. And um, all of those things, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm taking a long way to answer your question about mindfulness. but That's okay. But, but when you hyper-focus on stuff, you think you are focusing. You think you are being mindful. But what you're really doing is you are just chasing the flavor of the moment. Mm. And what's more important in terms of true mindfulness, true focus, is determining what is most valuable, what matters most to you, and then committing to that path for the long haul. And that's that's the thing that I have had to learn and I believe successfully have, have, have learned, at least so far across my fingers, right? So how have you pulled it off? For 12 years, you've stuck to it. The long haul, that's not easy. Do you have any, do you have any tricks to well, help first, us? Well, first, you get married and you have a wife who says, I'm pregnant. That really sharpens the focus really quickly. Right. Um, then after that, um, it really is a, a lot of what I talk about in my book, The Myth of Multitasking. You can see that um, behind me right there. Um, in, in The Myth of Multitasking, I talk about um, the, the dangers and the cost of switching. Every time you switch your attention from one thing to something else, there's a cost associated with it. And the costs are things take longer, you make more mistakes, and you increase your stress levels. And what I have done, I, you know, I am a big believer that you learn the most by teaching. And as I have taught this to people and I get up on stages and I talk about the importance of focusing on one thing at a time, it makes me acutely aware of where I don't do that still, where I still work on that. And it always brings me back to this place of having to choose one thing uh, to focus on at a time. I think that's the thing we don't think of. We think we're multitasking, we're achieving so much, we're just we're just rocking it. But like you say, you know, it takes us longer. It we make mistakes, and and then we end up, you know, with this frustration and anxiety and right. stress as well. And it's just not worth it. So so you've really dug in with that and helped people understand through your book the myth of multitasking how not to how not to behave when you're in your workplace but i know that fun is a big part of what you believe we should be doing we should be having a lot of fun that's your new book so what moved you from multitasking to fun yeah and i think there's there is that question in people's mind especially people who have been through my courses like on linda or linkedin learning they're like well, wait a minute why is he like the fun guy all of a sudden and, and the important thing to say is this is a productivity book. This is about getting more done. But if the myth of multitasking, which we started talking about, is about the negative side, right? Here's what to avoid. 
Right. Don't multitask. The power of having fun is about what you should do. And just like how the myth of multitasking is, is challenging something that's counterintuitive, right? So many people think, oh, multitasking is good. So many people also think, well, if I'm having fun, I'm, I'm not working. I'm not being productive. I'm not doing things. When in fact, everything that I found through research and also just my field experience of coaching leaders one-on-one -on -one is that by taking time to have fun, by making it a priority, in fact, you achieve more you get more done in a shorter period of time. Uh, a lot of people see fun and work as opposites. Like I, if, I'm, if I'm having fun, then I'm shortchanging my ability to be successful, right? But in reality, fun is a necessary component. It is a key to success. So rather than saying, you know, should I have fun or should I work? The question is, do I want to be successful and if I want to be successful, am I willing enough to be successful that I can take time away from work to make that happen? Yeah, I really like that. Because you'll recharge your batteries and you'll perform better while working. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that. So were you a kid who was always having fun? Were you one of those fun kids? You're like <laughs> no. always doing the cool things. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Um, and in fact, that's part of what I talk about in the book is Fun is not how I define it or Bruce defines it or anyone else defines it. It's how you define it. I am a geek. I am a nerd. And what I like to do for fun probably won't – I'm guessing the majority of the audience won't identify with it. The, the thing that I do at the end of every day, and I must do it as part of my strategy for being successful, is play video games for okay. at least a half an hour at the end of every day. Uh -huh. That's critical for my success. Now, to me, that's fun. But I've had clients, you know, leaders who I've worked with who they say, well, I want to go for a walk or, uh, you know, a guy who rides a motorcycle. Now, to me, that's a whole lot more cool. Riding a motorcycle or sitting on your couch shooting zombies. Mm, I think most <laughs> people would say the motorcycle is cooler, right? All right. Um, or even just, you know, enjoying a nice little treat. All of these things can have value and have power as long as they are scheduled and they're used appropriately. And that's really what the whole book is about. Right. Well, I can't wait to read the book. And so has it taken a lot of research to put ideas together to come up with these concepts and to meld all this into one? Yeah. So every writer has a different process. Um, I am not a research-driven writer. I am a practical, real-world situation sort of stuff. So my process always begins with working with clients one-on-one, -on -one, with coaching them, with having conversations with them, and then seeing what works. And what I saw over and over and over was that the clients that I had where I forced them to have fun. And, and I, I'm putting emphasis on that word force because especially like, you know, I worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, they, they, they are so driven by their business. They're so passionate about their business that they're not willing to take a break. So I would say, look, you have to have a mandatory break once a week. You have to have a mandatory break once a day. Mm -hmm. And when I would do that with them, I saw that their success radically improved over time. I mean, it wasn't just like, uh, you know, going from uh, them working 60 hours a week to working 58. I'm talking about them going from 60 to working 30 and being more successful, having a higher income. 
And so after seeing that over and over and over, I was like, you know what? I need to write a book about this. And then I found the research that also substantiated what I was seeing in the real world, done by people who are much more patient and much more analytical than I am. Well, that is really fascinating. And you've worked with so many individuals. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a specific story about someone who really this has worked for them, you know, what you described, but can you be more specific how they've gotten out there and they did whatever it was? Yeah. Um, I'll start with a, a small example, and then maybe we can work our way to a bigger example. Sure. Um, one of my favorites, and I mentioned in the book, is is I, I talk about creating oases. And that's what the book is about, is creating little oases. And if you think about what an oasis is, it's if you're traveling through the desert, this long period of, of deprivation, you come across clear water and shade and refreshing trees that that replenish your body and give you the energy to continue on the journey. So I was talking about this oasis concept with one business owner. And I said, we need to have a daily oasis. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't even have to cost you any money. What's one thing? She thought about it and she said, I'm going to go visit Bessie the cow. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, I where my business is, if you go about a half a mile down the hill, there is a pasture there and there's a cow that I like to go to and just pat on the nose and talk to. And it's just kind of fun to do that. For me, that's relaxing. I said, great. Now let's schedule time in your calendar to go visit Bessie the cow. And so she did that. And she talked about how this 10 minute break that she was depriving herself of, saying that I hadn't, she hadn't earned it yet, she hadn't worked hard enough or that there was so much to be done that she couldn't take time to do this. This 10-minute break radically improved her productivity in the afternoon because she made it a priority. It's just little things like that, but we, we neglect the little things at our peril. That is a great story, Bessie the cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, you know, I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time, and I like to talk about that topic because okay. with mindfulness, I just feel that if we can understand, you know, what it truly means to be mindful, we'll handle bullying differently. Do you have a story you could share with us about bullying where mindfulness might have made a difference? You know, I've got, I've got, two stories and they're both related. I grew up as somebody who, at least I feel, I was bullied quite a bit. Mm. Um, part of that is the personality. Part of that is that I grew up um, in, a, in an environment at home where I was subject to a lot of emotional and verbal abuse constantly. And so I um, did a lot of things at, at, you know, at school of ways to get attention or ways to get people to like me that were just not normal. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it put a target on my back and it was really hard for me to deal with. And, and what I gained from that personally was empathy for others. Um, I really, um, strongly dislike when I see others getting, um, judged or, um, diminished because they are different. Now bring that to just last week, my son, um, is 12, is just starting junior high. Okay. And all of us who have been through that experience know how difficult that can be. For sure. And, and he's a really good kid. He's also really sensitive. And I said to him, 
You know, Stratton, I want to tell you something that I wish someone had told me going into junior high. I said, you are going to see kids that are going to do things that are rude. They're going to say things to you that aren't nice. What I want you to understand is they are all just trying to figure it out. They don't, they don't know what's right and what's wrong. They don't even know what kind of a person they want to be yet. So when you see that, don't take it personally. It's so easy to feel like, oh, they're picking on me. But instead, just say, hey, that's somebody trying to figure it out and just go, there it is. And then just be nice to them and move on. Because my experience is those same people who acted like that, the majority of them 10, 20 years from now, they regret the way that they acted or they completely forgot about it and they've become people who are, are well-adjusted, nice, kind adults. And so my perspective is we, we need not take that personally when those kinds of things happen, that it's just part of other people going through the process of learning and growing. Yeah, I think the more all of us can really get that message so that we we live that way, the better it is. But, you know, when something does happen and somebody does say something, jab or whatever, even as adults, it's really tough to, mm -hmm. you know, just suddenly say, no, I'm not taking it personally. I'm not doing that. You know, but that's a great lesson for your son. So he's very fortunate. Now, you mentioned you were going to tell another story as well. I had it happen to me this week. Did you? Uh, yeah, I had somebody send me a nasty message about my my book. And and the initial reaction is to personalize it, to say, well, you know, I'm going to be offended by this. But what I did and how I responded was I flipped it around. And I thought, what if I said that to him in the workplace? And usually I don't respond to this, but for some reason I decided to respond. And so what I said to him, I said, imagine that I came into your workplace and I said that to you over your shoulder. Can you feel how ugly that moment would be? And if I saw someone say that to you, I would tell them to stop because I believe in you. As a human being, you should not be treated like that. So if people are treating you like that, I'm sorry that that's happening. And so in that way, because I think a lot of times when people lash out like that, they're doing that because they um, other people are treating that way or because they feel insecure about their life. So the, the approach that I tried to take in as adult was to turn it around and, and say, I support you. I care about you. Right. I want to ask you, Dave, what stage of life were you in when you realized that, that teaching was such a powerful tool? I know that at one point you were a high school teacher, you mentioned, <laughs> and then you now have taught so many programs on LinkedIn learning and different places. You obviously find it very valuable. Yeah. You know, honestly, I, I think it came very, very early for me. Um, and it's interesting. I grew up with a, a mother who is an elementary school teacher and my father, my father also has suffered. Well, did he passed away recently, he actually oh. passed away just the end of last year, but he would jump from career to career to career and never got control over that thing, which I got control of. And it, it, one thing that really hit me, uh, through his funeral and through remembering him was the fact that really in the end, every single career that he, he took or every single situation that he was in, he tried to teach. 
And that's where he found his joy, even right up to the end. You know, he has he had a great background in martial arts. He was teaching women, um, you know, how to protect themselves oh. on the street and teaching them not true martial arts, but just basic self-defense. But he always valued teaching. And, and I it didn't hit me until that moment where I realized, wow, I was always there. I always saw that. And so to me, I think that's just an extension of what I saw my parents do. And I, my, my happiest moments are when I am teaching others. Right. I figure that must be true since you do so much of it. Yeah. Dave, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So we'll just okay. zoom through these questions. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Uh, Stephen Covey. I grew up around that. Okay, yeah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Uh, it's given me a lot more stability from someone who does not naturally have that kind of stability. The focus creates, the focus of mindfulness creates stability of emotion. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Um, not as much as it should be. But I am aware of it, and when I do it, um, it is helpful. I, I sorry, this is longer than a quick, quick answer, but just a little bit longer. I use counting more than breathing. Okay. And the power of the logic of the numbers to mm -hmm. steady my thoughts back, back down. Right, that makes sense. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Well, okay. Obviously, I would recommend The Myth of Multitasking. Of course. Um, it, it is my book, and a lot of people have said it would help with that. But uh, in the interest of equal time, I would also recommend um, The Power of Focus by Jack Canfield and Les Hewitt. Uh, Les Hewitt was probably the majority writer on that book, but that also uh, had a great influence on some of my early work. Can you share an app? which helps you or maybe some of the people you work with to be more focused and more, more mindful. Okay. I, my answer to that is no. And there's a reason for that answer. People are addicted to apps. They believe that having the next new app or even the next new phone or whatever it is, that that is going to make them productive. That is going to improve. But in fact, it's not the app. It's how you use it. It's what the underlying principles are. So my best app is my calendar. Ah, that's great. It's an app that everyone already has on their, For sure. on their phone. For sure. Well, it's really been great talking with you, and I'm going to put all of this information into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. But Dave, how can we connect with you and learn more about what you do? Sure. Easiest place to do that is davecrenshaw.com, Crenshaw with a C. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to check out the book, you can also go to powerofhavingfun.com. Powerofhavingfun.com. And that is very appealing. And I think it will be to all of us listening today, too. So, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today here on Mindfulness Mode. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation, Bruce. Uh, it's been great talking with you. Okay, all the best. Bye now. Bye. 
Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.